0: morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I wish I knew what I did to my back. It really hurts. If I hadn't did it over again, I would have done it, but I wish I knew what it was that I did. Like the little guy that went to his doctor, how you doing today? He says, I was doing better, but I got over it. And, uh, Chasing oh, cats. Chasing cats. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working in his bedroom, painting and baseboards and That's fixing it. holes in the That's wall. It, right? That's it, maybe to work. Romans chapter number 10. We are slowly sneaking up on the end, slowly. I bet this time next year, it should be pretty close, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Of course, you got to teach for a year now so I can get some time off. Yeah. So let's have a little preview of chapter 10. We just finished up chapter 9. That's why we're in chapter 10, of course. Um, let's start a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, church, Lord, and the privilege we have, Lord, to learn about your word, Father, and to study it, Father, and pray you bless the lesson in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, I feel kind of... I don't have the little microphone up here. I feel kind of... I know, it's weird. Um, I'll put my phone up here, okay? It's like you had to pass me so, it's like I'm being somewhere. So... Last week, last last chapter, uh, uh, Paul was fully aware that the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, talking about the rejection of the Jews and the preaching of salvation to the Gentiles, would greatly offend his countrymen. And it did. He knew it was going to rub them the wrong way. He was prepared for it. Uh, He was trying to give them... uh, Old Testament prophecy, and we'll see that today, uh, that was telling them this was going to happen. So he begins chapter number 10. Let's let's read the first couple of verses here, and then we'll talk a little bit more about this, this kind of preview here. Verse number one and two, brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. <clears throat> for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he acknowledged that Israel was um, uh, sincerely motivated, had a zeal for God, Okay, but not according to knowledge. So before pressing the topic of God's sovereignty anymore he had to address their unbelief and that's what he did back in chapter 9 Israel's unbelief and this leads him in chapter 10 to kind of contrast the difference between the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith there's a difference and we'll discuss that in chapter number 10 He presses the fact that God has given them numerous opportunities and invitations to reconcile with God. God's had his arm outstretched, and they refused. So Paul takes this topic here and points out the necessity of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. In chapter 11, we're going to talk about the Gentiles. Okay. So despite the objections of the Jews, the gospel is not uh, uh, generally received by the Jews. They, they rejected it. They rejected it because they rejected Christ. They rejected Jesus. Amen. So Paul's going to prove by the testimony of the prophets that the rejection of Israel and the gathering of the Gentiles was predicted long before. This isn't something new. This shouldn't be surprising to them. This isn't something new. They should have been aware that this was going to happen, and when it was happening, they should have been aware of it. I could make a parallel to today. Things that we know are happening, but no one seems to know they're happening. Except us on the outside here. So he's going to conclude chapter 10 by showing that throughout the whole dispensation of the law... That the Jews had both heard and rejected God, Jesus. Therefore, because of this, because of Paul's preaching, the Jews considered him one of their greatest enemies. And we saw, read the book of Acts, they, they persecuted him from city to city, uh, they uh, sought his life, they deprived him of his liberty. He arrived in Rome wearing chains. Not the fancy gold chains we wear with our shirt unbuttoned. These are the kind that just go around your arms. Okay? I'd rather have these than have this. I don't know why. (laughs) This means something more. I don't know what it is. But, anyways, sort of toss that in there. So Paul prayed for them. Paul did everything he could do to show them salvation. He really wanted them to be saved. I think he knew the nation was not going to be saved. But he was going for individuals as many as he could. Verse number 1 again. Let's read it again and look at it. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel is that they might be saved. Brethren. Who's he talking to? The brethren in the church in Rome. Rome. Mm -hmm. Brethren. Brethren. Okay, brothers and sisters, brethren, he's talking to them. My heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they might get saved. Right. This church was comprised of Gentiles and Jews, and they were having a hard time. They were having some difficult times. We'll see about that today uh, in this chapter and the next chapter. They're having some issues going on. They've been having some issues going on. Paul says, my, my prayers is that Israel would be saved. So he addresses these disciples at Rome. And the fact that Paul's praying for Israel is instructive, especially because uh, his belief of the great prophecies, Paul knew his Bible, his Old Testament. He knew it. He knew those predictions in the Old Testament, what was going to happen that was happening now. He knew about those. And we'll see here today, I think, that the Jews knew it too. They just didn't accept it. They just didn't want to hear it. So there's no such thing as an irrevocable decree that Israel was going to be saved. They assumed that they were because they were Jews. They assumed that they were going to go to glory just because of being a Jew. We discussed this last week or two. That doesn't save you, being a Jew. That's right. It doesn't do anything. Okay. So they thought this was some kind of a irrevocable decree we have to be saved because we're God's chosen people doesn't work that way God deals with individuals okay the only impediment to Israel's salvation was Israel (laughs) their rejection verse 2 for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge What made the law so tragic was the fact that they were very zealous and God fearing people in their own way. They were superior to the Gentiles. Gentiles had a bad reputation in the world. Godlessness, everything you can think about, that was the Gentiles. The Jews were superior to that. They had the law, they had all these things, all these entitlements. Gentiles didn't. But they were stuck on that. We're better than they. Mm -hmm. So why should they get the gospel? We should just be saved. Josephus once said, The Jews knew the law better than their last names. They know the law. The Jews did. Remember during the gospels, they were challenging him and questioning him about the law, trying to snare him. Mm -hmm. didn't work. He knew it better. So this knowledge that they had failed to take into account the spiritual nature of God's word. They were looking at the worldly benefit. We need to be saved. We need all this stuff here. We need to be delivered from our oppression by the Romans. We need to be delivered. Christ came to deliver them from sin. Not from Roman rule. He came to deliver them spiritually. They didn't accept that. In fact, in Matthew 22, 29, he says, Ye do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. (laughs) You do err not knowing the scriptures. You think you know what it is, but you don't. You leave out the spiritual element there. Thus the Jews' ignorance of God's word, which they had so uh, corrupted with human tradition and glossed over with their own interpretations to the point where God's law, some of the precepts were even canceled. They changed it. They didn't like what God's word said, so they just modified it. They changed it. Uh, they didn't like this, so they just modified that. It was acceptable to them then. So they twisted God's law, God's word, to fit their own lifestyle, their own um, Preferences, if you will. So the rejection of Israel <clears throat> refers not to the rejection, only to the rejection of Christ, which they did, but failure to even keep the basic commandments of the law. They didn't follow the law. They acknowledged it, but they preferred their own traditions and their own precepts instead. I can imagine them writing executive order. Maybe I don't know if they did it back then. We don't want to do this anymore, so we we'll do this or whatever it is. They didn't obey God's word. They preferred what they had because it was easier. Verse number three: For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They were ignorant. The only thing worse than being ignorant is not knowing anything, someone said. They were ignorant. They knew God's word. Have not submitted themselves. They haven't humbled themselves. We like what we have better. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what God says. I like this better. When someone's faced with a decision to accept Christ or go to hell they make that calculation in their mind and they're thinking, what do I have to give up? <laughs> you know? I'm going to gain eternal life, but what do I have to give up now? That's what they think about it seems. I've had people tell me that. Man, if I can't drink and all this stuff, smoke and all this stuff, if I can't do that, you can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do until God tells you to stop it. And he will. God told me to stop some things. And I did. I didn't like the way it came about, but it came about. That's right. Okay? He made it uncomfortable to do those things. That's right. And that's how God works with people. That's the Holy Spirit working. I'm not saying you have to give up anything. But you get heaven. And they calculate the stuff in their mind. And they just can't reconcile whatever it is they're gonna get to what they have now. They can't seem to understand that. Jews were the same way, they were ignorant. And his ignorance was voluntary. Therefore, they were inexcusable in God's eyes. It was voluntary ignorance. <laughs> ignorance is no excuse for the law. No, wait, that's wrong. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. I like my way better. Anyways, when you get a ticket or something, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Ignorance is no excuse for the law. Anyways, it doesn't don't try that at home. Um, <laughs> They were ignorant, voluntary. They were ignorant of God's righteousness and God's commandments. Paul isn't saying that the Jews could not have known what the plan of God was. Look at at verses 18 through 21 of the same chapter here, chapter 10. 18 through 21. Let's show what they knew. But But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went unto all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, that's Gentiles, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah's, Isaiah was very bold, and saith, I found not. I found of them that sought me not, I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Talk about the Gentiles again. Verse 21, but unto Israel he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gang people. So they knew what was going to, it was in the scriptures, they knew. Paul said, ignorance is, is, is your own fault. You made a decision not to believe this. You made a decision not to understand this. It was voluntary. The word's been out there since Moses. This was going to happen and you rejected it you didn't understand it now the term God's righteousness back in verse number three is different from the general expression the righteousness of God there's a difference there the righteousness of God is God's personal righteousness and all the characteristics of God that we understand that's God's personal righteousness God's righteousness is used here as, as God's plan of justifying men and declaring them righteous by faith in his son Jesus Christ. Amen. Israel should have subjected themselves to God's righteousness <clears throat> and righteousness to be understood as commandments. Let me show give you uh, an example here. Turn back to Luke chapter number one. Matthew, Mark Luke chapter one. Luke chapter number 1, verse number 5. Luke chapter 1, verse number 5 and 6. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both, Righteous before God, doing what? Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Okay? The righteousness of God is different than God's righteousness. They walked in God's righteousness. The commandments, they kept the commandments. Okay? They had submitted themselves to the commandments and they walked in them. The Jews had not submitted themselves to the commandments. They didn't obey the gospel. Uh, Their disobedience uh, uh, didn't begin with refusing the gospel. It it began a long time ago. It began when they started to disobey and sway and swerve away from the commandments of God. They changed what they believed. They didn't believe the commandments or the ordinances. They failed to follow their own religion. They swerved. Uh, they drifted away. How many churches today are drifting away? Amen. Most of them are. Not most of them. Many of them are. Uh, they don't talk about God and the message and how they were challenged. They talk about the band. I hear my say, i got a great band at this church. You ought to come to it. What does the preacher do? Oh, we get a good message. We, we, we get something. You know, we, we feel good when we leave. He ain't a very good preacher then. I said, boy, if I don't don't feel beat up sometimes, I don't don't know what to do. I feel beat up every Sunday, brother. I have to limp out of here. (laughs) I have to go home and soak for a while. Boy, that was tough. No, it just, you know, it just changed so much. The failure of Israel was grounded in their own self-righteousness. They changed from what they knew God wanted to what they wanted, what they thought was best for them. They preferred their human traditions and doctrines to the commandments of the Lord. They made a decision. We don't want to follow this. We want to modify this. Let's don't do this. Let's change. And that's probably the greatest failing in religion today. People shop for a religion that fits their needs. And that's good, I guess churches bend over backwards to fulfill the needs of the people bands soft message and mostly acceptance of their lifestyle you are welcome here no matter what you believe or what you what your lifestyle is like and we do too god loves you just as you are but too much to make you stay that way okay but people shop for that. I can't go to that church here because they don't accept this so they don't like that. Go there. God loves you. But we don't cater to that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and churches do. Um, they fought and they had female preachers. They've, they've changed this and they changed just to fit the lifestyles of people, right. to be modern. People want this you know, and these churches bend over backwards to let them have that because they can get the members. And that's what Israel did. Same thing. It hasn't changed. They changed to make it more comfortable for people. To make it easier. Whatever it was, they changed it. But they didn't submit themselves to the righteousness of God. Therefore, they justified themselves in their own righteousness and they rejected the righteousness of God through Jesus. Paul then points out to them the true end of the law for the righteousness which is in Christ. We'll see that in verse number 4 here. Which if they had known at the time they would have set it themselves straight. And it's another instance, another example of their their blindness and misguided zeal. (coughs) Rejected Christ. So Paul leads on to what he had in view here. And he was to give an account of the two righteousnesses which is in Christ. Two righteousnesses. Number one, righteousness of the law, which the Jews Jews sought and they didn't find. And the righteousness of faith, which the Gentiles who didn't seek for it, found it. Turn back to chapter 9, verse number 30. Oops. Chapter 9, verse number 30. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed... What? Not after righteousness. They weren't looking for it. Have attained to righteousness even a righteousness which is of faith. 31. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. They followed the law, didn't attain. Gentiles weren't looking for it, and they found it. Amen. Look at verse number 4, back in our text here in chapter number 10. (coughs) For Christ is the end of the law. For the righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is the end of the law. That word end means... uh, Something that completes a thing. It's it's rendered perfect. It's done. It's finished. There's nothing else to do. It's the end. The law ended at the cross. And it ended at the cross, no matter what you believe, it ended. The law ended. And it's attained by those who believe in Christ. It says there in verse number four. To everyone that believeth. The end or the aim of the law was righteousness. The believer in Christ is made righteous and thus the end of the law is reached through Christ. When a man's sins are blotted out, taken away, thrown away, thrown back, deep as sea, whatever, all those things. When it is blotted out, when his sins are gone and he's cleansed from sin... He is righteous. Talk about this in chapter 3 and 4, I think. He's righteous. He's made righteous. He didn't earn it. Didn't do anything for it. He's made righteous. Okay? Let's take my place again. Um, <clears throat> and he reached that through acceptance in, of Christ in his heart. He believed Jesus. He accepted Christ. So the law ended. The law that was supposed to uh, save everybody, the law, keeping the law, didn't work but it was accomplished, it is accomplished through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ. Perfect obedience to the law would accomplish justification before God. If you obeyed the law and kept the law, you would have been, you would have eternal life. If you did that, you would have it. Talked about that in verse in chapters two and three. If you could keep the law, you would have eternal life. What's the problem? Can't do it. Can't keep it. <clears throat> you can try, but if you offend in one part, you do what? Broke, everything. broke all of it. Right. So you gotta be born keeping the law. If you cry for no apparent reason, you lie. All right. I'm going to cry because I want mommy here because I'm lonely or I want some attention. I don't need attention, but I want attention. That's kind of fibbing to mom. Mom doesn't care. Dad doesn't care. But it's not telling the truth. It's, so you have to be born keeping the law. I mean, if you're going to keep it, you, got to, you can't offend in one part of it. The only one that ever kept the law was Jesus. And because of that, we have kept the law in him. Because he did, and we're in him, we've Amen. kept the law. That's right. Okay? The same end is accomplished by faith in Christ. The purpose of keeping the law and faith in Christ was the same. Only faith in Christ can keep it now. Jesus is the only one that ever kept the law. So the end or the aim of the law was to produce righteousness. But Christ is the only one that ever was able to do it. So therefore, all who are in Christ have fulfilled the law in him. Now look at verse number five. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Focus in on that word, doeth. What's the law about? Doing things. Right. You've got to keep those commandments. You've got to do those things. No faith there. You've got to do stuff. You've got to keep those commandments. So, the man that doeth those things shall live by them. Look at Leviticus 18 for a second. Way back. The first part of your Bible. Leviticus 18. Ezekiel 18, verse 5. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Didn't give you an option there. You will do it. I am the Lord. What are you going to say? I don't want to? No. You will do them. You will keep the law. Galatians 3.12 says the same basic thing. If you've got to do the law, you've got to keep it. So the righteousness that he's talking about here is keeping God's commandments. The purpose who kept the ancient law was indeed righteous. A fact, again, it points to the problem that no one can keep it. Even Zacharias and Elizabeth, they obeyed the commandments. They were blameless. Did they ever sin? We didn't read about it, but they did. How'd they deal with that? According to the law. Exactly. They did it according to the Old Testament. They were blameless. They sinned, but they took care of it the way they were supposed to back then according to the law. Okay? They were righteous in that they kept the law that way. They obeyed it. They were blameless. Good people. Now let's read verses 6 through 8. Oops, there, man. 6 through 8. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? that is, to being Christ down from above. Or, Who shall descend into the deep? that is, to being Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. And in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Everybody have something on the tip of your tongue and you couldn't get it out? I did it all the time. You did the other day. Yes. Tip, you know it's there. You can't get the word. You're cataloging through your thesaurus, your dictionary. Mine's pretty short. Mine's getting shorter all the time. <laughs> I used to think a thesaurus was a dinosaur or something until he got in college. First time I ever used a thesaurus was in college. How'd I get through high school? I don't know. But um my vocabulary getting a little smaller and smaller. How to get on that. Anyways, the tip of your tongue, he says in verse number eight, it's nigh thee. Say the word. F- faith. I, I, I can't think of it. I can't, I can't say it. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's in your heart. The word of faith which we preach, say it, no. We won't say it. When Christ came, the Jews at first were impressed by his miracles. And they were inclined to let's get close to this guy, let's let's see what this guy's all, all about. They wanted to receive him. But then they were repelled. They were put off, if you will. By a number of things. Number one was the obscurity of his birth. I mentioned that last week. Turn back to John chapter six. The obscurity of his birth. I just read my Bible here. Paul had his you know, tribe of, he knew what tribe he was from, blah, blah, all the stuff he did. He had his whole lineage there. They knew who they were, their parents were. John chapter 6, verse 42. I'm not there with yet. Oops. It's because I was going the wrong way. John chapter 6, verse 42. Talking about the obscurity of his birth. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came from heaven? Remember last week? They couldn't identify where his kingdom was because they couldn't see it. Who is Jesus? He came down from heaven. We know Joseph and Mary, his parents. Why does he say, I came from heaven? So the obscurity of his birth. Look at chapter number 8, verse 41 in John. Chapter 8, verse 41. Jesus says, Ye do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have but one father, even God. Well, if that was Jesus, great bride, right there. They insulted him. That's right. They insulted God. That was blasphemy. That was terrible. Accused his parents of fornication. Can you imagine that? That was serious stuff there. They were rejected by the obscurity of his birth. They didn't like the humility and meekness of him and his disciples. You guys are too nice. Mm-hmm. We're hardened against folks that are too nice because we think they're gonna sell us something. <laughs> you ever notice that? Yeah. Use car guys, car guys. Hey, how you doing? Great guy, we're gonna give. Let me fix you this one. No, this looks good on you, boy. You know, um, you think you're going to sell us something, but they're not. You know, they were turned off. They were uh, repelled by the admonition of Jesus, which he heaped on them because of their sin and their unbelief. They get tired of hearing that. Who is this guy? That's right. Calling us a whited sepulcher. Mm-hmm. What is that, anyways? You know, I mean, they they were repelled by him. They didn't like him. They, They rejected him. They expected a mighty prince to jump out of a big car, a big automobile, exalted in splendor, to ride roughshod over all their enemies and restore the glory of their earthly kingdom. That's what they were expecting. That kind of deliverance. When Jesus then foretold the ruin of their sacred temple, found in Luke chapter 21 and Matthew 24, I think, the dispossession of their state, Israel's going to be gone, and the treading down of Jerusalem itself, which happened in A.D. 70, their minds revolted from Jesus completely. They said, this guy's got to go. We don't want him. Crucify him. Kill him. They sought for his life. Furthermore, at the Passover, the whole Jewish nation had seen him shamefully crucified and buried. Therefore, the conclusion of of all Israel, including some of the disciples at first, was negative regarding Christ. They didn't like him. They didn't want him. They thought no dead man, they thought, could ever be the Messiah or bring about the glorious deliverance which they expected. So this was against these, this, this prejudice that Paul directed, verses 6 through 8. Don't say in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring down the Messiah from thence, whom we expect personally to be here on earth to deliver us. That's what they were saying. Or who shall ascend into the deep to bring up Christ from the dead to be our Savior? These questions in verses 6 through 8 are mocking of unbelief. Look at Matthew 27. They did the same thing when he was being crucified. Matthew 27. If you're there, go ahead and start without me. I'm trying to get... Matthew 27, 42. Matthew 27, 42. He saved others... Himself He cannot save. If He be the King of Israel, let Him now come down from the cross and we will believe Him. They wanted Christ to demonstrate something in Matthew 27, 42. Demonstrate that you're great, come down off that cross. They were mocking Him. The mistake they made about the deliverance was, it was Spiritual. They weren't going to deliver them from their enemies, from their oppression. Christ doesn't need to appear to be with you. He's here spiritually. The deliverance that he was talking about was from sin. You were made righteous by faith in him. Verse number 8 again. Back in our text in Romans chapter 10, verse number 8 again. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach. They didn't want to have the faith. They wanted a demonstration. They wanted uh, to be relieved from their oppression. They wanted to be delivered out of that. Faith. We've never heard of faith before. And they probably hadn't. When you follow the law, you don't need faith. You're just going to do stuff. And be consi- do what it says. We're going to stop here in just a minute. So they were expecting something totally different, and I don't know how they expected that, reading in the Bible, but they, they read it. Sure, they believed in Jesus. They, they knew he was the Messiah, but he didn't fit their uh, imagination of what the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to do. He wasn't what they expected. Oh, he's here. Well, when's this going to happen? Oh, he said, what? He did what? Mm-hmm. And he start, He's from where? And he started to back away from Christ. And they didn't accept him. He started to reject him. Right. He's not Christ. The real Christ, the real Messiah was going to... And they're still waiting for him, by the way. That's right. He's going to come and save us from all our troubles. They're surrounded, Israel is, by countries that want to destroy them take them off the map That's right. I'm not sure that we're not one of them anymore I don't know can't tell for sure because right. we're sending money to their enemies but they're still waiting for that Messiah to deliver them and they're, they're worried about that even more now probably and it's getting closed in here yes. not the Romans it's everybody else there's uh, anti Semitics in every country They're powerful. They don't want the Jews. They don't know why they don't want the Jews, but they don't want the Jews. That's That's the thing about it. They don't know why they don't want them here, but they don't want them here. And they're waiting for that deliverance from their enemies, and they're going to keep on waiting. And they're not going to get it. It's not going to happen. So, they missed it. And you can't convince them that they missed it. Because they don't believe. They won't submit themselves. They won't humble themselves. It said here, verse number 3. Won't humble themselves unto the righteousness of God. They won't do it. They refuse. They're a stiff-necked and hard people. They really are. God knew that when he chose them. He's called them that all throughout the Old Testament. They've disobeyed, they've rebelled, they've rejected, they just dis- they did everything. God's called them a stiff-necked and rebellious people. He loves them. He really loves them. We love them. Amen. But they're hard to deal with. They have this thing that they were brought up in and they can't get rid of it. We'll stop here for today, and then we'll start with chapter uh, ten, verse nine next week. Say a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the lesson, Lord. Pray God you bless the services to follow Lord. Pray, God, you bring visitors today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.